often see food as just gasoline. You know, it's just like, it's, it's just checking a box. Um, and, and it's really, it's a really beautiful thing. I mean, it's really fascinating that, you know, the, the ingredients that we consume have such a major impact on our well-being, um, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. And, and so it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a big thing. It's a big thing that deserves awareness and, and presence. Um, but yeah, just those, you know, the, those little, not thinking of it as this, you know, it has to be this massive overhaul and, you know, you need to go through the kitchen with a, a trash can and just throw all the crap away and, you know, or go out and buy a bunch of gluten-free food. Like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Um, but, you know, just the, just little, little things, little things experimenting with ingredients and, um, I'm Daniel Lucchini, and this is the Merakai Performance Podcast. And welcome to episode 11 of the Merakai Performance Podcast. In today's episode, I welcome Nikki to the show. Now, Nikki is a mobility and movement trainer, and she's also a precision nutritionist with a particular interest in food food sourcing, and she works with a vast uh, array of clientele from professional athletes to the general population. Now, I wanted to get Nikki on to discuss primarily uh, nutrition and her information and experience and knowledge around there as well. She offers ingredient sourcing education, hormone balance comprehension, and sports-specific menu development for performance. She works hard to bridge the gap between food and body, and this is something that I think is incredibly important and something that I always try to push. It's not just food and body, but food and movement, movement and body, and they all tie in together. I've known Nikki through the social media world for a couple of years now, and she's actually had quite a profound influence on the way I think about nutrition. She was a major catalyst in my shift from focusing on macronutrients and focusing on the general calorie intake of food and stopping to look, stopping myself looking at food primarily as fuel trying to achieve a certain physique or a certain performance outcome. And she enabled me. Uh, through just the content that she posts up for free to start diving deeper into the world beneath the macronutrients and the world beneath the calories and how to source food and why we need to worry about where we source it from and how this makes a massive difference to the way we eat. And because of that, now food has become a completely different experience for me. It's enjoyable. It's fun. It's something I'm passionate about and something that makes me feel great. And it's not just about hitting a number anymore. It's about hitting myself in the heart <laughs> and in a good way, not with heart, you know, no heart conditions here, healthy hearts only. So uh, I was really excited to have Nikki on to discuss the importance of food sourcing and food quality, as well as discussing the process of educating clients and the wider community on the how and why to go about this process. In today's episode, we cover Nikki's journey as a coach and what inspired her down a current path, what it means to meet a client where they are and to start the process of making change. We talk about the influence of emotional, emotional, cultural, and social factors around food choices. We discuss the differences when working with athlete, athletes versus general population, information around gluten, why heavily processed foods are more of a challenge for the body versus those that aren't. We discuss the role of awareness and mindfulness around food and how this can help us 
quote unquote, listen to the body. When to eliminate, eliminate, certain, eliminate certain, certain food habits. We go quite in depth about Nikki's process of working with a client and how she'll begin that process and also how she continues it to, to achieve, help them achieve their goals. Uh, we talk about the role of blood tests and the considerations that we need to have when reading these results or when listening to these results from a GP or other health professional. We touch on medication a little bit and also talk about staying within our scope of practice. We talk about how to create a shift in mindset around food, which Nikki handled a really loaded question fantastically there. We talk about the true importance of ingredient quality and why it makes such a difference. Uh, Nikki gives us some information about food labels, the difference between high and low quality beef, the difference between various types of sweeteners, and the importance of education around nutrition. This is definitely an information-packed episode with countless important considerations worth listening to, whether you're a coach, an athlete, or someone who cares about their health. And I personally know I have a lot more questions for Nikki. Um, So without uh, any further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And let us dive right in. Welcome to another episode of the Merikai Performance Podcast. Today, I have with me Nikki. Welcome to the show. Uh, Super glad to have you on. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we are talking from across the world, so I apologize if there's any delays, but I think we've got our internet going well and we're sort of able to communicate really awesome here over video call. Did you want to start by taking us through your history as a coach, the different sort of services you offer, and yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Uh, I've been coaching for about 15 years now. Um, I'm old, <laughs> been around a while. And um, I, I got started, well, I guess to go back to my education, um, studied journalism uh, at the university and then went into culinary arts after graduating. Um, I grew up in a Greek household everything centered around food and the kitchen. And, um, and I felt drawn to that type of work. So I spent the first, uh, f- you know, five years post-education working in kitchens, running kitchens, and um, then had our first firstborn and stepped out of the kitchen and moved into more of a um, consulting position. And that was when I really started to question and challenge my own perspective on food and the the sourcing of food and, you know, going into these restaurants and working with these chefs and and seeing them trying to balance um, their budget and and how, you know, the, the quality of food that they would purchase based on um, you know, their budget and, and, and how that translated to what was going on the menu and how it was being prepared. And, um, and I, I kind of dove into the um, healing side of food. Now, mind you, I, so I grew up in a Greek home and then my culinary education is classic French. So not a lot of talk about food as healing. <laughs> A lot of um, rich, you know, rich sauces and uh, and things like that. So um, it was definitely a, a new territory for me. 
And right about then was when um, we had our second child, my daughter, Emma. And um, Emma had some digestive issues and um, started going to see a, uh, a healer, if you may, um, about that. And they suggested that I pull her off of any kind of dairy, which again at the time seemed a little bizarre because she was a baby and babies drink milk. Um, but then when I started to, to really kind of research that and dive into it, it, it made sense to me that, you know, the, the source of the milk that she was getting was making her sick because it was coming from a commercial animal. Um, and what that animal, how that animal was being treated and what that animal was being fed was um, affecting my own child's gut health. And that for me was really the largest shift that pushed me towards really helping people connect um, food sourcing and healing our bodies, right? How the two go together. So I, um, at, the, at the time I had been doing some, some private um, culinary work for families. I was doing some meal prep and things like that. And, and so I started having these conversations with them about, you know, how would you feel if we tried to pull some gluten out of, you know, the food that I'm preparing for you? And how would you feel if we, um, if, you know, we increased the budget a little bit more so that I could, instead of buying, you know, soy eggs, I could buy these free range eggs. And, um, and that slowly translated into me doing more um, lifestyle coaching for these clients than just preparing their meals and dropping them off or then picking them up. Um, and that was when I started, um, I ended up, let's see, so many, so many years, Dan, so many years. Um, I, I guess that was about when I stepped into precision nutrition. At the time, there wasn't a whole lot of um, nutritional education. And so I, I stepped into that and I really enjoyed that. Um, it's a great, it's a great platform for anyone that wants to learn generally about nutrition. Um, I found that it, I, I was still, um, in the box of, you know, or the template, if you may, of, um, not really challenging people's sourcing decisions. Um, the message was, you know, let's focus more on macros than ingredient quality. Um, you know, it's more important that someone's getting, you know, a balanced meal than it is that they're paying attention to the, the quality and the sourcing of their food. And, um, and while I absolutely believe that you have to meet people where they are and not everyone is ready to jump in and you know go full full throttle um pasture need and so on and so forth i did feel like it was really important to have that verbiage and have that communication with people that i was working with that look i understand you know right now we're just going to we're just going to focus on making some healthy choices and 
and working on you know building some healthier habits but i want you to know that down the road this is what this could look like for you um, if that makes sense and and that's really um yeah you know, i've been there ever since i do a um i work with different seasons of life um i have athletes that i work with that's very sport specific nutrition so that that looks like um i i have a professional boxer that i've worked with for many years and right now he's training for a fight so we're communicating all day every day um you know talking about what he's eating before he's training how he slept lots of biomechanic conversations things like that um, i also work with women who are um, typically post 30 35 um, i seem to draw the clientele that is looking for you know they've done the fad diet they've done the the keto they've done the whole 30 you know they've tried everything and and they keep they keep going back they keep you know it feels like there's not longevity so that that seems to be what i i attract um, so with those clients it's not it's not so much specific work it's um, again meeting them where they are and and really looking at the small picture so the day to day um, you know what's going on with hormones what's going on with hydration what's going on with work-life balance what's going on with self-care which is a very um, overused term but a lot of these women are, you know, around that age are raising kids, they're working, they're now, you know, stuck inside. Yeah. <laughs> um, to balance all of that, so you've got more stress. So um, I, I've actually recently, that has kept me very busy because a, a lot of people are, um, are trying to figure out how to, how to balance all of this and, you know, do it in a way that, um, that is is healthy and um, actually not to I, I'd like to go back to this but one thing that I've really had come out recently is a lot of emotional connection with food of course mm -hmm. eating is a often an emotional thing you know we have childhood memories about certain meals and um, and you know uh, even down to just like social you know grabbing a beer with a friend and um, people being stuck inside and having to be still with their thoughts and their history has really challenged um, where they are. And that has, been, that has been really exciting for me because often we have to do a lot of work to get someone to a place where they are ready to talk about that or, or to bring awareness to that, if that makes sense. So, um, so that's, that's been really exciting lately, but yeah, so as far as like the clientele that I work with, it's, it's going to be, you know, the very, very specific, um, programming for athletes. And then it's going to be very non-specific <laughs> programming for, uh, the general population, if you may. 
Yeah, and that's like a perfect example of meeting people where they are. Obviously, the athletes coming in because they're looking for the edge. They're willing to follow things more to a T, really specific. And yeah, this is exactly why I wanted to bring you on. You you, uh, bring up so many points that I think are so important. And food is, uh, the more and more I've dived into it with, uh, so for those who don't know, uh, he was actually a huge influence for me uh, early on when I started really trying to understand food beyond the macro level beyond the, I guess, the easier option. It's we can achieve short-term results by just focusing on, you know, macro plans and meal plans and things like that. But in order to make real health conscious decisions, it goes a lot deeper than that. And that's where it comes into food sourcing and the food quality. And even as you started talking there about, you know, you got the Greek heritage and into the culinary school. And I grew up with my mom's French, my dad's Italian and food was everything like we we went on holidays based on a restaurant we wanted to go to or things everything was revolved around food but not in a health sense or an understanding where it's coming from it was just how tasty and how how good can we make it and then like you mentioned it starts tying into the emotional connection if you've got it becomes the basis of every celebration it becomes part of like a family thing you sit and you, you finish the meal and then I sit next to my dad and he has a second plate. So I'm going to have a second plate. And like it forms this, this relationship with food really early on. And we all have our own story of wherever we are. And I mean, that's really important. And, um, look, there's so many places we can start. Um, I, one that you touched on straight away, I want to knock out of the park early on is gluten. Um, obviously it's one of those ones that's talked about, a lot uh, we have people that are you know celiac and, and genuinely can't eat it like my sister eats it she gets you know horrible uh, symptoms <laughs> uh, but for other people who I guess it doesn't affect so drastically why would we want to cut out gluten why or would we want to cut out gluten and if so why mm-hmm. so uh, that's a, a case-by-case situation of course um, I would never tell someone to eliminate gluten altogether because I just felt like my, my personal opinion is that it's not so great for you, but does that mean that I suggest completely eliminate it from your diet? No, if there's things that you enjoy that have gluten in them, eat it. Again, it goes back to the sourcing. So you'll, you'll hear a lot of um, people talk about how they continue to consume gluten, but they've changed what type of gluten. So, you know, you have a a higher process um, protein that your body's not gonna be able to break that down. And it almost confuses your body. So um, when you normally, what would happen is, you know, it would go through your digestive system and the nutrients would be dispersed where they're supposed to go. When we eat something like a highly processed gluten or I mean, this goes for commercial animal and so on and so forth. Um, It confuses our body. And so things get stored where they shouldn't be stored. And um, for example, we see um, people fighting acne because their bodies are taking in that food and they're trying to um, detox it. if that makes sense, like it's a, uh, um, I don't know if trigger is the right word, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a process that is 
not normal for our body. It's, we weren't built to be able to process um, a, a gluten that is um, not so natural. Yeah. So long answer for if you want to eat gluten and it doesn't make you feel like absolute dog shit now, then you should eat it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, if it does make you sick, then you should not eat it. That sort of becomes the really simple way to look at a lot of these things, right? Like our body is generally going to tell us if something is good for us. It's just forming. Then we just have to sort of depict the difference between is it really making us feel good or is it not? And that's kind of ties back into that emotional connection, right? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. You know, so it goes, it's that awareness and, you know, awareness is a very challenging thing for us human beings. I mean, we see it as coaches with our clients with movement and exercise and there, we have such a lack of awareness as a human population um, that it's, it sounds simple. I mean, it seems like it should be easy enough to draw the connection of, oh, I ate that and now I feel terrible. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 we make it so difficult. <laughs> On ourselves we do yeah yeah like I'm someone who you know pays as much attention to to my health as I can but on a Friday night for date night if there's a burger on the menu I'm probably gonna get it and I know I'm not gonna feel great the next day but something in me is saying no this is still a good option and maybe it is maybe that's what I need at the time but it is very hard to to distinguish those differences especially if it's not something that you're thinking about 24 7 like we are as coaches um, all right, awesome. So I just want to knock that one out of the port part. Um, let's go. I, back. I do want to say that there's a there's a place for that. Mm. You know, you you should go out on Friday night and and enjoy a hamburger. Absolutely. Um, you know, we don't go too extreme either direction. Mm. But but yeah, I mean that awareness of just knowing that because there there are people that it does it makes them very sick, and that's something that. You know, in, in that situation, it, it has to be eliminated. It should be eliminated. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's, you know, I eat it. I don't feel great the next day, but I'm not feeling horrible. And if I was, then it would probably be something I need to look at a little bit closer. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So uh, going back to, I guess, your work, um, say an athlete comes to see you and they're you know looking to get started what sort of information are you looking to gain from them in your initial discussions are we talking blood tests is there surveys you know diet, uh, diet trackers what sort of information are you looking for at the start uh, so i always start with a, a bit of a journal so i have i have them you know whether it's three four five days of just keeping track of what they're eating and how they're feeling. I always tell them it doesn't have to be, you know, it needs to, it, to do it in a way that works for them. So I'll have, I'll have clients, you know, take pictures of their food and send it to me. I'll have clients who have, you know, these very detailed Excel spreadsheets they'll send me. Um, I'll have clients that, you know, write it on a post-it note or the back of a napkin and screenshot it. So, um, but I, I do that so that I can 
get a realistic uh, snapshot of what their habits look like. And then I also have them take note of things like, you know, how their sleep is, how their, you know, their hydration feels. Um, and a lot of people have no idea what is, should, what is considered good or not so good with hydration and sleep and, and bowel movements and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so that, that's the first step. Um, I do have uh, some somewhat extensive intake forms, and that is dependent upon what that client is coming to me for. Um, typically in the case of a, a professional athlete, it's going, I'm not gonna um, worry so much right out of the gate about like hormone history and things like that. It's gonna be more about where have you been? Where are you going? Um, what are we training for specifically? What do, uh, you know, I connect with their coaches and, and work, you know, with them as well. Um, and if, if we find that they are, um, not getting the results, then, then we look more towards like blood work and things like that. With an athlete though, Daniel, typically by the time they get to me, they're already on track. Like they're, you know, they're, the reason they come to me is because their, um, you know, trainer, said you need to be working with this person to you know help reel in your nutrition to align with what we're doing in the gym um so usually they're they're way beyond the place of me needing to look at a more detailed health history yeah they, now, they already, so no go ahead yeah, like you said, they're, they're already at that level where things are pretty much where they need to be because otherwise they wouldn't be performing at such a high level. But we're just trying to find that, that little 1% or those little, little extra details. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like you mentioned there with like the keeping track of food, you, you've got lots of different ways to do it. I, I've struggled with, uh, I guess, working people in the past not just in nutrition, but anything. And what we're looking at is like a barrier to entry. And if you give that complicated spreadsheet to someone who's not ready for that, then it's just not going to get filled out. And I've got many empty spreadsheets in my, in my thing that have meant to be filled out, but they don't. So it's like providing that options is, is really useful. And I guess really important uh, when working with people, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and this again is not, this is not so much for an athlete, as it would be for, um, you know, a, a woman in her 30s coming to me. I, we would focus more on, um, you know, what kind of what's going on lifestyle-wise, what's happening around her. Um, and whereas with a, an athlete, it's more, I need to specifically see what you're eating, what time, you know, the, the two are different in that way. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you, yeah, you start factoring in, like, especially if they're in season, they've obviously got performances on one day of the week or a couple of days of the week and everything in the whole week needs to be centered around finding yeah. that sort of optimal, whatever we can find is optimal anyway, we think is optimal. Um, <laughs> exactly. 
hard to tell. <laughs> Don't know if you could have done better, but it, we, as long as you're making progress, I guess is the sign they're on the right path there. Um, say we do get to the stage where you are doing uh, hormonal tests and things like that. I, I'm sure this is a really broad question. I forgive my lack of specificity to ask with, uh, but what are you looking for there? What are the sort of big trigger warning signs or the sort of bigger rocks that you're, you're looking for in that, in that blood test or hormone test? So it's going to be thyroid, ferritin, liver enzymes. Um, if, if a, you know, someone's liver is not working very well, then that can be, you know, what, what they may think is a, a malfunctioning thyroid could actually just simply be that the liver is not processing. They, there's a, a iron deficiency and that's causing the liver to not process hormones correctly. And so, you know, the, the messages between the brain and the liver are, are not coming through clearly. Um, typically, I can see if between testosterone, estrogen, thyroid, liver, iron, um, those things give me a pretty clear picture. I tread lightly here because there's so much information about what those numbers should look like. And I would not want to mislead anyone. Um, I think that it's important that when looking at blood work, whether it is us as practitioners or the person themselves, it's important to not just accept what's on that piece of paper. Um, because a lot of the ranges, for example, are very general. So when I'm looking at um, estrogen levels for a woman my age at 40, the numbers that are considered normal include estrogen levels for a woman who is 24 and a woman who is 75. to be able to, um, I have to understand how all of these things work together and work against one another. And not to go down a rabbit hole, but this is where we get into a lot of trouble with, um, at least here in the States, we have a lot of medical doctors, and I am not a medical doctor. We have a lot of medical doctors who um, are very linear thinkers, and they give diagnosis based off of um, a very linear way of thinking. And so um, we get into a situation where, you know, someone's been given prescription for something that really has nothing to do with what's going on with their body. You know, you have a, a woman who is fatigue and, you know, she's low energy and she's given a prescription for uh, antidepressant. You have a, um, a woman who is um, feeling like she can't lose you know, weight, that she's holding on to, to extra body fat. 
and her thyroid, you know, she gets her blood work done and her thyroid falls into, um, you know, a, a, what's considered a dangerous zone or not even that dangerous. Um, and, you know, she's given a prescription prescription for thyroid balancing. And a lot of times those end up creating more problems when, you know, it could be as simple as going back to the liver that it was just a, um, you know, maybe her, her iron was lower. Um, or maybe she just needs to get more sleep. <laughs> you know, like maybe we just need to spend some time focusing on getting some more sleep and then going back and, and looking at the blood work. Um, so again, I know that kind of goes down a rabbit hole, but that's something that really is frustrating for me because I see so many people who are, they're trying to reverse engineer these prescriptions and these diagnoses and, you know, they've been told these stories about themselves and have gone down that path and they're not necessarily authentic stories for what's going on with their body. Um, so I, when I say I tread lightly, I mean, I, I, I would challenge anyone that is interested in learning more about their blood and their hormones to get multiple opinions and to do research themselves and look at different sources for that resource, excuse me, research, because while there is so much information out there, um, if, if you don't take the time to, to look beyond what you're given, if you may, um, it can really create a, a lot more trouble for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, so with the hormone levels, yeah, it's kind of, you could almost kind of relate it to like the BMI. Uh, it's, it's very generalized. It's, it's yeah. sure it might put you in a, you know, obese range or whatever it is, but it doesn't necessarily mean you are. If we're doing the same thing with, hormones, with cholesterol, with all these different things, people might make either really drastic changes that aren't necessary, or I think the worst option, well, I think the worst, maybe not, sometimes it isn't, but yeah, we go down the, the medication pathway. But like you said, that always has big contradictions as well, because it's doing something else to something, and that balance is going to get thrown off even further, potentially. And I think Absolutely. once you go down that path too, and you know you start taking medication for something and then something else goes wrong well, what's your first option it's going to be medication again because that's what fixed the fixed quote unquote the first problem i do quotation marks way too much on these forgetting that it's voice only but um yeah i think that's and you look you say it's a rabbit hole but i think it's a really important one to go down because yeah. if we keep avoiding that conversation and we keep just you know treading you know too lightly around it then people get stuck in that way and they think that those are the only options and we stop looking at things from such a broad perspective. And that's really hard to do because every individual practitioner has their bias. I have one, you know, you would have one. That's why that note about getting multiple opinions is so important. And then you can take that back to a coach who does think reasonably holistically and you can have that open conversation. Mm -hmm. And there is a place for medication and, you know, I don't want anyone to just like stop taking medication because you know I, <laughs> I'm saying it's it's not great for you or it's you know gonna cause trouble because there there absolutely is a place 
for it. And, um, and it can serve as a, a bridge, right? It can serve as a bridge to get us someplace. I mean, by no means is it, uh, does it have to be a permanent thing. Um, it could be simply a, a stepping stone towards being healthier. And so if, if that's the case, then that's what we work with. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, I, you know, it's really important that I would never want someone to feel badly about themselves because they have taken or are taking medication for something because, um, you know, again, a lot of times it's just a, a lack of information. I mean, you know, people go to their doctors, people come to you and I because, and, and they trust us, you know, they, they trust us to give them the answers. And, um, you know, in any situation that, that doesn't always end up in the person's favor, unfortunately. So that's why, you know, as, as practitioners, um, it's important that we try to come with, with as little bias as possible and, and an open mind um, and an open heart as well. Um, and also remain in our scope of practice, you know, like I'll, I will say, I've said, and I will say again, like I am not a medical doctor, um, but I, I feel comfortable and confident giving my professional thoughts and guidance to people who are um, looking for help. Yeah. And that, that's a really important point and something that I, I see, I've probably done it in the past more than I should. And who knows, maybe I'm even, I'm even doing it now without realizing it, but trainers, especially ones who aren't, you know, qualified in the realm of nutrition, giving out way too much nutrition advice for things they don't know. And I'm, I try to be as mindful as I can about it. Uh, it's, I, I share a lot. I share what I do and I try to always focus on the, the feeling associated with the eating, not you should eat this, but it's, it's, it's something you, know, you have to realize that everything we're doing is having influence on people. So we want to at least be educating alongside that to make sure that people know what to look for and they know, well, have a greater understanding of what to look for anyway. Okay. So uh, you've inducted a new client. They're an athlete and, you know, things are going quite well, but we're trying to get that extra 1%. We're trying to make those small changes. What are your sort of main things you're looking at within their diet specifically that would be, you know, worth changing or worth uh, exploring different options to see if it's going to make a difference or not? Mm -hmm. uh, so I find variety is hugely important. Um, with athletes specifically, we get a lot of chicken breast, white rice, you know, brown rice, um, spinach, egg yolk, great every day for the rest of my life. And um, that is not, that, that typically does not yield um, the, the healthiest uh, results. Um, so I, I look for um, variety and frequency in what they're eating and when. Um, you know, if I, if, if we aren't seeing a, a change in whatever it may be, um, you know, if, uh, what would be a good example? So someone that perhaps needs to cut weight for a competition, um, you know, it's going to be very important that we look at their hydration, when they're drinking water, 
how much water they're drinking, um, what types of food they're eating because, you know, uh, the, the water in the food, for example, a, um, we'll use your, your hamburger, right? So a, uh, a highly processed hamburger is gonna have a whole lot more water in it than a pastured, you know, free roaming animal that a hamburger comes from. Um, and so those, those are things that I look for um, when we're not seeing a change. Um, <clears throat> a lot of it is, you know, and again, it depends on the client, but um, I find with athletes, it's more of a mindset than so much them being unwilling or not knowing how to program food for themselves, if that makes sense. Um, so it's, it's that they, uh, I have a client, for example, who he could not, um, he gets very, very thick in the legs and um, you know, he could not figure out why when he was eating on plan and, and, you know, drinking his water and so on and so forth, like why that was not changing for him. And we made a little tweak of swapping out what type of carbohydrates he was eating. And again, this is getting much more into the science of, and macros, right? Which is typically, I mean, I really try and reserve that only for sports specific programming. Um, but, you know, making these little tweaks of, what type of carbohydrate he's eating and when. So for example, a, you know, he was eating a lot of rice and we swapped that for some like fresh fruit, dark berries, and then threw in some um, granola for some healthy fat. And all of a sudden that thickness starts coming off his legs. So, and, and there's a lot more that goes into that, right? I mean, how he's training and so on and so forth, but, um, you know, again, the, a lot of times with, with athletes, we have this mindset of, you know, I need to eat these, um, you know, I got to eat my pasta dinner and, and carb up and, you know, slam my protein shake every two hours. And, um, and that's not, that doesn't really work for, for everyone. Um, and so it's, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that it's, We've, we've been, um, there's, a, there's a, an image kind of that comes along with what an athlete eats and, um, and it's, it's not always right. <laughs> so that's where the mindset comes in is we have to do a lot, of, we have to do a lot more work just kind of changing the mindset and being open to, you know, you can be a big, strong dude and eat some strawberries and it's cool, you know, like it's all right, you're going to be fine. Um, you know, you don't have to slam creatine and, and you know, BCAs and all that stuff. <laughs> you can really make some, some small changes with your food and it, and it will, you know, support you better in what you're doing. And we've seen that, you know, there's been a big growth in um, like these kind of plant-based vegetarian athletes and uh, I think that's a great example of, 
you know, stepping away from just the general type of programming and guidelines that we see somebody that's a, an athlete um, or a strength trainer doing. Yeah. And that's, that ties back into, you know, the emotional, the cultural influences of food. And look, I'm someone that's, I've, I've been training now for 10 years and I've gone through, I think I had a three year period where I only had two different types of meal plan and there was like six different foods in each one. And I would just swap every six months for three years and I didn't eat anything else. And then I've had times where I, you know, I've gone the, the macro route and I was making these illustrious crazy desserts that were, you know, seven calories total because it was just blended ice and other stuff. And I've gone through all those phases and it's like, you're trying to meet what it's meant to be. Like I'm meant to eat like a bodybuilder because I want to be a bodybuilder. I, now I'm, I'm trying to keep up with the new age macro accounting. So I'm trying to eat like all these different ways, but within that we're ignoring what we're actually one experiencing from a results standpoint, but also the feeling that comes along with that. And that, that ties back into that mindfulness and awareness that we sort of touched on earlier. Yes, you're absolutely right. So I guess this is, I, first of all, I love how you, you keep tying it back to how multifactorial all this stuff is like, sure, we can change carbs from rice to berries, but you know, that might not be the thing on its own, but it could also have, you know, it, its role within everything else and everything has to be tied in together. Hydration, sleep, uh, our own, you know, attitude to what we're doing. Like surely if you, if you think that the berries are going to be more beneficial for you, there's probably a chance that they are going to be more beneficial versus if you're resistant to it. Yes. I know this is going to be a loaded question, but I'm going to, no. I'm going to go for it anyway. <laughs> I'll talk it over to you, but how do we go about creating that shift? How do we, mm. of course, it's, again, this is so individual, but how do we start the process? Like what are some of the steps that we can take? And this is, I, get, this, I think this question applies really well to athletes, but also even more so to, to I guess a more general population who's looking to just, improve their overall relationship with food not wants to get tied into a macro counting or a meal plan how do we start that shift that is a very loaded question thank you oh, um awareness awareness and uh, that feels big right that feels big awareness feels like such a big word and a big step but um breaking that down into really small tweaks, you know, little small shifts. Um, I would encourage someone to, uh, you know, when they go to the market, pick up a few ingredients that they normally would never touch. Even if they don't know what the hell to do with it, pick it up, bring it home and play with it. See what comes of it. See what you think about the texture. See what you think about the taste. Um, that, something like that is manageable it's easy to do and it yields a really large result of like okay i did that it was safe i'm alive let's try that again um so you know that that awareness of of stepping back and and looking at what you're doing not even day to day, but, you know, minute to minute. I mean, if you're, are you really, are you eating enough? Are you not eating enough? Are you, um, are you really present when you're eating? 
or are you on your phone? Are you watching the television? Um, and, and I know that's, you know, it's not easy to always sit down quietly and enjoy your meal and, and peace and presence. Of course not. But, um, you know, that, that's a, a great way to start making some shifts towards a healthier relationship with the food that you're consuming is by really, really looking at it and, and enjoying it and thinking about it while you're consuming it. Um, yeah, I, I say that we, we've gotten, uh, we so often see food as just gasoline. You know, it's just like, it's, it's just checking a box. Um, and, and it's really, it's a really beautiful thing. I mean, it's really fascinating that, you know, the, the ingredients that we consume have such a major impact on our well-being. Um, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. And, and so it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a big thing. It's a big thing that deserves awareness and, and presence. Um, but yeah, just those, you know, the, those little, not thinking of it as this, you know, it has to be this massive overhaul and, you know, you need to go through the kitchen with a, a trash can and just throw all the crap away and, you know, or go out and buy a bunch of gluten-free food. Like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Um, but, you know, just the, just little, little things, little things experimenting with ingredients and, um, or even, you know, watching sometimes, um, you know, I'll encourage someone to watch a documentary on food, watch a documentary on, um, you know, how uh, honey's made watch a documentary on, um, you know, what a commercial farm looks like, and then watch one on what a non-commercial farm looks like, and, you know, think about, think about the two, and, and draw some conclusions about how that, those two different ways of harvesting animals affect you personally. Um, First of all, I think you did an amazing job of answering such a loaded question. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much. My heart's a little like, <laughs> it's a big one, Dan. It's a big one. Yeah, it, it really is. And I, I, I wouldn't have been able to see, obviously, on the, the recording here, but I was kind of laughing as I said it. I just knew it was a big one. But thank you uh, for, for putting that together, the answer. But yeah, I've mentioned at the start, you had a big influence on my, I guess, change in direction of food. And, and I didn't really explain why, but what that was, was, the cooking and the preparation and the sourcing of food and making that part of the eating process. And that's what I, I saw a post from you that was about that. And pretty much that day I decided oh, I was going to start cooking on my meals now. Cause I used to just get, you know, two minute rice microwave and a can of tuna. And that was kind of my lunch every day and still do that Sundays, but getting involved in cooking, going to the markets, picking up the food, it, it not only became something really beneficial for my health, I think, it became really fun. And it made the whole process of food more fun. Like I love having a day where I have three or four hours free because I can actually put together like a really nice meal. And I guess that helps having a background that like in childhood that was so centered around food. And there was always a cooking show on TV. And I find myself something I would never have done five years ago, but I watched cooking shows and, you know, all the, every documentary that comes out about food, it's probably been on my TV or in my Netflix history at some point. And getting that education, that understanding it, it makes things interesting, 
we can only really be interested in something once we start to gain some sort of understanding of what's happening. Everything is more complicated the deeper you look into it. So by starting to make that own, our own mindful conscious decision to look into food like that, you start to really gain an interest in it. And then that interest translates into, you know, just without even having to think about it, sometimes uh, you start to notice how the food makes you feel because it becomes a bigger process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And thanks for sharing that with me. I love hearing that. Um, and I'm glad you're having fun with it. I'm mm. glad it's been an experience for you. It has. It's been a slightly more expensive experience, but I think the trade-off <laughs> is, is worth it. Like, without a doubt, I wouldn't even in hesitate. And I just, instead of going out now, I just watch cooking shows, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and what you said about it, it being more expensive. Um, mm. A lot of times, you know, we feel like, well, there, you know, I can't afford to go out and buy grass and steaks and, uh, and you know, organic vegetables. And, and that's fine. Don't do that. Just try and start start with one little one little bit. Maybe maybe it's eggs. Let's just let's just talk about eggs. Let's just focus on eggs for the next few weeks. Let's you know dive into what the different types of eggs are and and what that looks like for you when you eat them. And once you once you have that respect for why the pastured soy-free eggs are a little bit better for your body than the not pastured soy-free eggs, then you're willing to spend a few more dollars. You're willing to not grab that coffee every morning on your way into the office. You know, maybe you just grab a coffee out a couple days a week so that you can shift more finances towards, you know, investing in your food. but I think that's a big part of it is, again, back to, oh, here we are at awareness again, right? Like just going back to that relationship and, and respect and understanding what it is that you're eating. And, and once, you, once you start doing that, I mean, you just told the story yourself. Like once you start doing that, it's really difficult to not, mm. right? Once you know better, you do better most of the time. Yeah, once you take that that pill, you 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 can't turn back. It's um, yeah. it really does open up. It opens up your own rabbit hole, and it's and look, uh, I think it, that is an, a reasonably important topic, and it's one that comes up when I do speak to people about food, and it is cost. But one thing I found is that it really, I know this this is multifactorial again, but it doesn't end up being that much more because, like when I was eating sort of more just off the cuff, but, you know, looking for the quick, easy option. It's you go to the shop each day, you grab a few things that are packeted and it's an individual serve or you're getting two serves. And I'm someone who, who eats more than most people because I have an extremely high activity level. So I know, you know, what I like the cost of food is like a, is a factor for me. And I, you know, I'm still young and I, I live, I just recently bought a place and things like that. But if you start buying things and you start sourcing food from a, right places, you can end up doing it in quite a sustainable way because you're making, you know, your choices are better in that sense because you're thinking further ahead about it. Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, it goes farther. Um, if you, if you, we, we really break down the return on your investment, it goes a lot farther nutritionally, right. Um, than, you know, a, a, 
I keep going back to meat. Um, but, you know, a, a slice of turkey that is, um, you know, a, a highly commercialized turkey, they pump water and flavor into that. So while it looks the same size on your plate as the turkey that hasn't been pumped with water and flavor, once it goes in your body, it doesn't satiate the way that the other product does. It's a, it's a difference of purity, right? Um, and so if you, if you think about it that way, you really get a lot more bang for your buck if you invest in something that's um, you know, more, more pure. Yeah, exactly. And then if we want to take it one step further, you start thinking about healthcare costs and things like that. If you're looking after your health, you, you save yourself a bunch in the future. Yeah, it, do, it does go a lot. It goes a lot deeper. Like you said, there's, there's a whole bunch of rabbit holes around at the moment. So, And that sort of takes me to the next point, which we've touched on throughout the show so far, but ingredient sourcing. And, you know, there's, there's so many different options. You've got grass-fed, you've got grain-fed, you've got organic, you've got all these different options. I guess you've sort of already touched on them, but it's like the nutritional density and things like that. But what are sort of the biggest differences? What are the biggest, I guess, points that we should focus on when it does come to ingredient sourcing? Like what are the, the big pluses and what are the big negatives that we should be moving towards or against? Mm -hmm. Okay. So with, um, let's look at labels. Hmm. So, uh, um, you know, when you're walking down the, the um, bread aisle um, in the market and, you know, here, here in the States, at least, we've got literally an entire row dedicated to bread um, and everything is packaged very uh, manipulatively, right? So you have what looks like, uh, you know, really healthy bread. Um, I don't know, it says whatever crap on the front that makes you think it's healthy and you buy it and you get home and, and then you're like, oh, the first ingredient in this is corn syrup, you know, or the first ingredient in this is, is uh, um, you know, soy or whatever it may be. And it's like, well, shit, that's not, that's not healthy. So I, I say, I tell people to focus on the ingredients more than the uh, nutrients when they're looking at when you're comparing apples to apples okay so by by looking at the ingredients what is actually the makeup of the food that you're buying that's going to tell you a lot about how integrative it is um, so if you if you uh, grab a um, you know, a bag of, let's see, what's, oh, applesauce. Applesauce is a great one, okay? So um, you're looking at this, you know, applesauce and it says organic, non-GMO, gluten-free. Well, of course it's gluten-free because, you know, it's applesauce, but they still put that on there because it makes you feel better, right? And then you're looking at this applesauce and it says basically the same thing. But then when you flip it over, one applesauce is, has, um, a sweetener in it um, and and sweeteners we can go down the rabbit hole of sweeteners right but um, you know something like a an air-dried stevia 
is going to be a lot safer than like a um, you know high fructose corn syrup. Um, but these the the packaging is is just so dangerous because at first glance it feels like a good choice, but by simply looking at the and and not even looking at the nutrients because we get that a lot too where it's like oh well there's you know I'm I'm keto so I need a lot of fat or whatever no carbs and there's no carbs in this so this is great well there's no carbs in it maybe but it's packed full of crap sugar and once that goes into your body your body processes that as a carbohydrate as a toxic carbohydrate which ultimately becomes stored fat so you know it's I'm now I'm making it more complicated than it has to be but um, the point is is that really paying attention to what ingredients are listed versus what the front of the package says is is hugely important and and typically the most prevalent ingredient is going to be listed first hmm. so you know if it if it says um if it's applesauce and it says apples as the first ingredient then you know, you're pretty good, pretty good to go. Um, keep looking right at the list. But if it's applesauce and it has, you know, corn syrup and caramel thrown in to give it some color so it looks like it came from an apple, you know, then it's not a great choice. The nutrient could the nutrient intake could look exactly the same though on both labels. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I actually answered your question. You did. You answered uh, one element of it, um, and I'll get to the other one. So, yeah, one thing that's, I guess, I, I, my background predominantly as a coach has been like through gyms, powerlifting gyms, and within that space, it is all macro accounting. And because of that, people look, sure, they might look for the, I want it to be no GMO, I want it to be gluten-free, <laughs> applesauce, freaking better be. <laughs> um, and then they'll look at the, the macronutrient breakdown on the back and they'll choose the one that says 21 grams of carbs per serve, not the one that says 30 because mm -hmm. that's what it's all about. I want to be able to eat more food because for some reason feeling incredibly full is, is the goal. But by ignoring the ingredient list, you don't really know what you're intaking. And like you talk about, there's a lot of hidden things that they can put in there that are going to affect the way your body processes it. And yeah, I think that's just a really important point to bring up. And it's, it's, you know, if we only focus on the macros or we only focus on the calories that are in something, then we risk not really understanding what we put in because we're not even looking at it because that's not our focal point. And like you said, it's a lot about mindset. Well, yeah, if our mindset's focused on calories, I'm going to look for the calorie free option. Like it just, it makes the most sense, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make me feel the best. So that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and um, and that's where you know, again it comes into the you know just small steps. It doesn't mean that you know now I don't want you to feel overwhelmed walking through the grocery store and that you know you have to be that person that stares at something for ten minutes you know because you want to make sure it's just just pick a pick a few things you know you don't have to we don't have to overhaul everything at one time. Pick a few things and and you know pay attention to that um, and see what comes of it. You know, maybe it's your, your kid's cereal, you know, it's uh, try and try and 
swap out the the cereal that you're buying look at or just look at the cereal look at what's in the cereal you're buying and and maybe research a little bit what some of those ingredients are and that's one thing i you know i i hear all the time is like oh my gosh we've been eating you know i thought this was so healthy like we've been feeding our family this for years and oh my gosh like it's terrible <laughs> it's actually terrible for them um so it's it's paying you know paying attention to to what's in it and um and doing it on a level that is relative to um you know your your lifestyle and and what you can can handle is really important yeah exactly one person's shift is going to take them from eating you know a certain type of food to only organic vegetable another person's just about getting the better option of the packaged cereal like yes. yeah and that's yes. all comes back to what you said at the start which is meeting people where they are yes uh one specific one that i wanted to get into uh, i know you sort of mentioned that you've talked about meat a lot already during it but uh for me my biggest bias is i beef is the thing that i one paid the most attention to where I'm getting it from. And I think it's made a, the most significant difference to me. And that's of course, anecdotal and my own subject of one, but that's reality. When looking at, at beef, besides, I guess the ethical moral reasons of how it's farmed and things like that. And there's uh, a great book out called uh, the sacred cow, which I think is a really good resource to look at there. Uh, if you're interested in looking at more the sourcing side and the agricultural side there, but grain fed, grass fed, grass finished, free range. What are the, what are the biggest differences, I guess, in the I guess, nutritional outlay of that uh, beyond again, the ethical moral stuff? I have been, I've been very lucky to connect with farmers who are the backbone of this movement. And I have learned so much from them over the years about dirt, because that's really where it starts with the, with the cow specifically. Okay. So you take a cow and you put the cow in a feeder lot. And some of my, my verbiage may be different from what, uh, you know, it would be called there, but in the States, a feeder lot, right? So you, you take hundreds of, of cows and you, you put them into this feeder lot where there's not a lot of room for movement. But the biggest problem there is that there is no shift in the elements of where they are living. So they're consuming their own bacteria um, because they are not being rotated onto fresh, fresh pasture. So the natural, um, you know, microbes and all the things that occur in the dirt and the grass that cows should be eating when a cow is uh, put into a feeder lot or a more sterile type environment where they are fed grain, um, then, you know, their, their own, um, digestive system is unhealthy. So you create an animal that is now um, inflamed, sick. You give that animal medication. That all becomes a part of the integrity in the animal once it's harvested. So 
that compared to an animal who is um, on a rota rotational system. So this is an animal who is moved from paddock to paddock. So they are constantly eating fresh grass and, um, and they're, they're not, the, the soil as they rotate, the soil is able to regenerate and, and keep growing that fresh, healthy grass without compromising the natural bacteria and so on and so forth that's in the dirt, right? That make the animal healthy because they're, they're a cow. So they eat grass and, and that's, you know, that's what their systems are meant to do. And so when you, when you take that away, when you compromise the integrity of that, everything gets rewired in the worst way possible. So um, to me, with I, I feel that the conversation about beef is possibly one of the most important conversations when it comes to integrity of food. Um, they have such a huge impact on, um, I mean, you know, we, we talk about, I mean, if you've read Sacred Cow, I mean, Diana Rogers is, uh, is a genius. Um, but, you know, she, she really talks about how the two go together and you can't have one without the other and create a, a long-term situation. So, when um, you know when you're eating an animal that um, hasn't been tended to in a way that it's naturally meant to be, um, you know it's uh, it's contributing to um, an unhealthy environment, not just internally for yourself, but the world we we live in. Um, so I, I guess the I'm going off topic a little bit, but the the difference. The difference is going to be the health and integrity of the meat once it is harvested. Now, sometimes you will have a, um, a animal that's labeled grass-fed, and I always encourage people to make sure it says grass-finished, because sometimes an animal will be free-roaming, but then they'll pull that animal off the land for the last year or so and fatten it up in more of a feeder lot type situation to create marbling and so on and so forth and within the meat okay if you've eaten a pastured animal you know that taste is different than a commercial animal um, you know people will describe it as gamey or um, I you know it's like anything else it requires um, getting used to because most most of us have you know, we're raised eating meat that is highly processed. So, um, but, but there's a, a completely different flavor profile because it's, the, it's a natural flavor profile of that animal versus one that has um, been manipulated with antibiotics and um, uh, crap food. You know, I mean, some of the stuff that they put in the food for um, these animals is like here in the States, for example, corn, 95% of the corn here grown in the States is genetically modified corn. Well, the majority of that actually goes to feedlots to fatten up cattle. 
So it's kind of this like really dangerous cycle um, where, you know, and, and we can get into the, you know, big, big ag and things like that. And, you know, how all that money trickles down and, and keeps supporting the growing of the genetically modified corn so that those big commercial feedlots, you know, can, can keep going and, and feeding um, the world. But, um, you know, I, there, there's a huge, if, if you were to start anywhere with your um, journey of understanding food sourcing, I would highly encourage it to be around animal. That's, um, yeah, you brought up lots of good points there and lots of great information. And it's, yeah, once I found out, once I found that out, that, you know, just because they grass fed, most cows are, uh, it's for most of their life cycle, but it's, it's what happens at the end, uh, whether or not they, they basically just pump for everything. And then, yeah, the quality of the farming itself is obviously affecting the health of the cow. And you wouldn't eat, if you went to somewhere and you saw a cow that was ill, you wouldn't want to eat that. But because we don't see that and we don't hear about that, it's we're fine to put in our body. And, you know, of course, eating that is not going to make us instantly sick. You know, we don't want to obviously be fear because, you know, it is a cheaper option generally. And I think it's better to eat something like that than going out and getting, you know, absolute you know, fast food or whatever it is. Sure. But uh, the difference is pretty significant. And again, my own story there is it, it makes a big difference. You feel different. You digest it differently. And I personally think it tastes better. It tastes like meat. It's more meaty. Yes. It's, it is different. Yes. Um, but yeah, some really important considerations there. Uh, and Diana's book, I mean, Sacred Cow is an excellent starting point because she, she does, I know her personally. And one thing I really respect about her being in the position that she's in is that she shows both sides. Hmm. You know, it's, it's not this extremist one way or the other it's like look the two go together i mean you have to have you have to have the plants and you have to have the animals they all work together um that's you know that's how we keep the world going <laughs> yeah like in the same way we've you know constantly touched on how everything is related when it comes to our health our sleep all these things it's the same for the environment and same for the animals and the plants that they all have their place within the cycle and the of course it's too late to say we can't influence it but we need to influence it in a, its most natural way but again quotation mark most natural way possible to allow things to to live their best lives because they're still living things and that will translate into the things that we can get from them and it forms a better relationship overall and once you start taking that sort of care about the food you're sourcing it's only going to translate to the way you care about your own health and yourself and then we get true self-care, right? Yes, yes. And I want to touch on one more uh, just before we sort of tie up for today. It's the one you said we can dive into that rabbit hole, which is the sweeteners. Um, again, big uh, in my community and I guess a lot of communities, but it's, it's choosing the options with the artificial sweeteners and there's so many different types. It's what are the ones we should most likely be staying away from and what are sort of the better options as well okay so sucralose is a, a dangerous one and we're going to see sucralose and things like um, your diet sodas um, i mean if, if you're choosing between drinking a, a a coke and a diet coke drink the coke um, 
uh, obviously I don't want you to drink either, but <laughs> you know, between the two. Um, so sucralose is a big one. The corn syrups, so our high fructose corn syrups. Um, both of those are sucralose specifically is a pretty big endocrine disruptor. So we get a lot of adrenal disruption with that, which translates into the thyroid hormone imbalance. Um, you know, it, if you consume it here and there, you're going to be fine. It's the repeat offenders of continuing to consume a product that has that type of processed sweetener in it. Um, so th those are really the two big ones that I encourage people to stay away from. As far as sweeteners that are safe, of course, something like a, a local raw honey is a great option. Um, stevia that is um, air pressed, okay, so air dried. So it's not always going to say that on the packet, but if you look, um, if you look at um, a a label, I mean, a, the label on the back of a, of a stevia packet, it's either going to say stevia or it's going to say stevia and sucralose or stevia and cane sugar. So sometimes, even though it's labeled stevia, it's still cut with um, a higher synthetic sweetener. It's just there's more stevia in the product, so they can just say non-GMO, you know, organic stevia. So again, it's going back to looking, looking at the ingredients, looking at the ingredients. Um, but yeah, so, so a honey, um, an agave, um, a, uh, you know, the stevia, the air, air dried stevia, those are options that are great sweeteners. In, in, the, con in the conversation of sweeteners. Yes. Exactly, when looking specifically at them, because who doesn't like something sweet? I know I have a huge yeah. sweet tooth. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and even with, uh, with like a chocolate, you know, I mean, that's a chocolate is great or, you know, here and there, um, but a dark chocolate, you know, a really pure dark chocolate um, is going to go a lot farther nutritionally than a, uh, like a milk chocolate. Yeah, and that, that comes back to those choices we can make. And I know personally that more than one block of dark chocolate does get consumed in this household per week. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> With some raspberries. Oh, yeah, berries and chocolate. Mm. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Vicky, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I have taken more notes today than I've ever taken in my life and I know I'm going to have some follow-up questions for you as well um, but yeah thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge and your experience with us it's, it's really really appreciated thank you so much I really enjoyed it all right thank you